Good morning, church. I hope you all had a wonderful week. Um, before we get into the message, I just want to take this time to thank uh, all of you for your text messages, for your emails, for your letters and your cards, for your encouragement, for your love and support. It means a lot to me. So thank you so much for that. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12 is our text. James 5, 7 through 12. We're now in part 15 of our series, Faith in Action. Again, that's James 5, verses 7 through 12. Now, before we get into the text, we need to put it into proper its proper context. So, so let's read last week's text, verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you fail to pay, the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Verse 6, you have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. So after James exposes the rich non-believers and how they abuse the poor oppressed believers, he now gives the poor oppressed believers some advice on how to live in the midst of their situation. And you see, they needed a word of hope. They needed a word of encouragement. And what James says in the text is intended to bring them into the right perspective regarding patience. The title of my message today is Patient Endurance. Say that patient endurance. Now, in the text, James points out four commands. Two are in the category of do this right now, and the other two are don't even start doing this. Two in the positive, two in the negative. So if you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Number one is waiting. Write that down, waiting. Say that, waiting. Let's look at verse 7a. James says, be patient, then Brothers, I want to stop there. Be patient then, brothers. I want to stop there. James is simply saying, because of the injustice done against you, take heed to the following commands. Okay? He's saying, don't take matters into your own hands. Operate on God's principles for addressing injustice. Be patient. Say that. Say, be patient. Now, James is not suggesting this to be an option given for consideration, but an admonition with the expectation of obedience. Now, in the Greek, the word patient is makrothumia. Makrothumia, it's spelled M-A-K-R-O-T-H-U-M-I-A. Again, M-A-K-R-O-T-H-U-M-I-A. Makrothumia. It means to be long-tempered. It's the opposite of short-tempered. It denotes the attitude of self-restraint. Uh, which keeps a person from hasty retaliation. It, it's being patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. It's to be long-suffering, uh, slow to anger, slow to punish. It's, it's learning how to overcome natural reactions with a supernatural response. I love that. I'm going to say it again. It's learning how to overcome natural reactions with a supernatural response. Now, say patience. Come on, say patience. Patience, listen now, is a characteristic of God in his dealing with sinful humanity. So write this down, 2 Peter 3.9. 2 
2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Love this. Listen now, he says. It says, He is patient with you. Did you get that? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, if you're saved, say amen. As children, listen now, patience is, listen, as his children, patience is to characterize us, even when we're, listen now, even when we're being treated unfairly. Patience is to characterize us. Now, let's read on. Let's read on the text. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Did you get that? Until the Lord's coming. So, so we are to be patient. We are to be long-suffering, Peter says, towards others until Jesus comes back, until we meet Jesus. And I want to tell you, friends, he, he's going to come back. He is going to come back. And, and we are to live our lives looking for his return. And the focal point and goal of our lives as believers is the return of Jesus. Did you know that the coming of Jesus is mentioned 300 times, 300 times in the New Testament, three times in our text alone? So do you think God has a point in that? Do you think that God, this and now, is trying to tell us something? And you see James, what he's doing, he's drawing that out. He's saying, that's the goal. That's what we're, that's what we're aiming for. That's the focal point. Now listen, church. We need to cultivate a mindset for the long haul, and we need to patiently endure hardships and heartaches until Jesus comes back, until he comes back. Look at verse 7b. James writes, see how the farmer waits. Did you get that? The farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient, there's that word again, patient, he is for the autumn and spring rains. Now, in Israel, there are only two seasons. You have the early rain, which is in late October, early November, and without it, uh, without it, the seed that was sown would not germinate. And then you had the late rain, uh, which was in April and May, and without it, the grain wouldn't mature. You see, the farmer needs patience, patience, until nature does her work. That being said, the high percentage of the farmer's job is simply waiting. I'm going to say it again. The high percentage of the farmer's job is simply waiting. Say waiting. He waits, listen now, he waits to plow the field, to plant the seed, to prune, to harvest the crop, and he knows the importance of waiting because his aim is his produce. But to get to that place of seeing the produce, friends, he needs to go through the agony of preparing the ground, planting and waiting for the rain before gathering the produce. You see, the farmer doesn't just sit around twiddling his fingers doing nothing. He's preparing, get this now, he's preparing for what he's expecting. I'm going to say that again. He's preparing for what he's expecting. And he demonstrates his expectation by his preparation. I'm going to say it again, okay? He demonstrates his expectation by his preparation, okay? He's getting ready for his crops in advance. And James is saying, be patient, guys. Be patient like the farmer who waits for the land to yield its valuable crops because the harvest, James says, is worth waiting for. Now, there are a couple of factors that the farmer has no control over. He has no control over the economy, and no control over the weather, no control over the economy, and no control over the weather, but he continues to till the ground, 
plant and prune, and he waits patiently, patiently for the harvest. You see, and and you got to get this, and I love this. You see, listen, while he's waiting, the seed is working. I'm going to say it again. While he's waiting, the seed is working. So here's the lesson, and got to get this lesson. While we are waiting, God is working. While we are waiting, God is working. Friends, patient endurance means refusing to be discouraged or defeated by circumstances in the confidence that God is at work. God is doing something. And this practically means we continue to stand up for issues of importance in our country, even if the government doesn't seem responsive. It means we continue to work hard at our job, even though the business isn't being run as we think it should be run. It means we continue to look for a job if we're laid off. It means we do the physical therapy and take the treatments when we're not well. It means we keep praying even if we don't see an answer. It means we keep sharing our faith even if it seems that no one is listening. It means, listen now, we do not draw conclusions until there is a conclusion to be drawn. So, so waiting is not passive. It's, listen now, it's active. It's, it's active. I, I love what Yvette Chaboya said uh, in her devotion on waiting. She said, waiting is actively leaning upon the presence of God. That is awesome. It's actively leaning upon the presence of God. Friends, it's praying, it's reading God's word, waiting is helping other people, it's witnessing, it's serving, it's working on our attitude, friends, it's being occupied with his work, his work until he comes. It's working for God while waiting for God. If you got that, say amen. You see, James didn't tell these suffering believers to put on white robes and to go to a mountain and to wait for Jesus' return. He didn't say that, no. No, his admonition was to keep working and waiting. Write this down, Luke chapter 12, Luke 12, verse 43. Luke 12, 43 says, It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I love that. That being said, you didn't get saved just to go to heaven. I'm going to say it again. You didn't get saved just to go to heaven. You got saved to grow in your relationship with the living God, to advance his kingdom, his work, his purpose here on earth. So waiting is active, not passive. And I want to tell you, friends, we are ambassadors of the king. We represent him, friends, in all that we do, friends. We have been called, say called, friends, to labor in the harvest. And though the harvest is not immediate, immediate, excuse me, the fruit it produces will be well worth the wait. Now listen, there is no time lost in waiting if you are waiting on God. I'm going to say it again. There is no time lost in waiting when you are waiting on God. Isaiah 40, 31. One of my favorite scriptures, Isaiah 40, 31, verses, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Waiting, number two. The second positive is standing. Standing, write that down. Say that, standing. Standing. Look at verse eight with me. James says, you too be patient. 
I want to stop there because just, in other words, just as the farmer in verse 7 is patient and waiting for the harvest, so believers, you too, believers, are to be patient and waiting for God's justice. So you too be patient and stand firm. Your Bibles might say, establish your hearts. I like that. Establish your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. The message says it like this. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The master, stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. In the Greek, the word establish is stay rizzo. Stay rizzo. It's spelled S-T-E-R-I-Z-O. S-T-E-R-I-Z-O. Stay rizzo. It means to, to, to make stable, to, to place firmly, to, to set fast, fix, to straighten, or strengthen, excuse me, to strengthen, to, to make firm, to render constant. It's, it's the ability, love this, it's the ability to not lose heart, to, to persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. It means to establish our hearts. And, and, it, and it's as if James is saying, you face hardships in the past, uh, you, you, are, you are facing hardships right now, you will face more hardships in the future, but as believers, you must exercise patience and establish your hearts to endure because there's no place, there's no place to give up or to quit the journey. Be patient. Stand, stand firm. Stand firm. And you know what, I, I know that, that life is tough. I know that life is unfair at times. You know, it's difficult to press on. I get that. But we need to stand firm, be, be stout-hearted, established, courageous, hold on until Jesus comes. That we would let his return motivate us, motivate us to hang in there. So we need to stand to be firmly established. And we do that, listen now, we do that by the ministry of the word of God and prayer. The word of God and prayer. And without those two, we cannot stand nor establish nor be established. That's why, friends, listen now, it's so important that you and I are in the word on a daily basis and on our knees on a daily basis. We're in the word and prayer. That's what establishes our hearts. That's what makes us stand firm is the word of God and prayer. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, God is producing a harvest in our lives, and he wants the fruit of the Spirit that Paul speaks of in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, to grow in our lives. And the way that he does this, the way that he grows the fruit, the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, friends, is through trials and troubles. Did you get that? It's through trials and troubles. So let's stand firm. Let's, let's be firmly established in our hearts. And instead of being shaken and, and confused because of the tough times that we're experiencing, let's live our lives in the expectation of Jesus' return. Because Listen now, because it's that hope. Say hope. It's that hope that brings stability and strength in the face of trials. And by the way, Jesus commanded his followers to live with an expectation concerning his coming. Mark 13, verses 32 through 37. Mark 13, 32 through 37. Other New Testament writers encourage this same kind of expectancy. 
Philippians 4, 5, Philippians 4, 5, 1 Peter 4, 7, 1 Peter 4, 7, and 1 John 2, 18, 1 John 2, 18. Paul encourages it, Peter encourages it, and John encourages this same kind of expectancy. Now, there's two lessons here, okay? I want you to follow me now, two lessons. Lesson number one is this, hold on until Jesus comes. Say that, hold on until Jesus comes. Friends, in tough times, we gotta be patient and we gotta hold on because one day, say one day, we will see Jesus face to face. One day he's gonna come back. That is our blessed hope. That's what Titus, you know, in Titus 2.13, it says, while we wait for the blessed hope, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Gosh, I love that. The second lesson is this. Jesus' coming should encourage us to live godly lives. Jesus' coming, his return, should encourage us to live godly lives. Listen, friends, if you call yourself a Christian, okay, if we call ourselves believers, followers of God's kingdom, born again, then we need to live like we know him and live like we love him. We need to live godly lives separate from the world. Amen? So the two positives is waiting and standing. Now we come to the two negatives. The first one, point number three, is don't grumble. Write that down. This is the first negative. Don't grumble. Write that down. Say that. Don't grumble. Look at verse 9a with me. Verse 9a. Don't grumble, there it is, against each other, brothers. The New American Standard Bible says it like this. Do not complain, brethren, against one another. Listen, when we, when we grumble and complain against a brother or sister in Christ, we behave in a way that, listen now, that constitutes the opposite of Jesus' command to love one another as he has loved us. And you see, the problem is when we got some discontent in our lives, friends, the first thing we do is find someone to blame it, to, to blame it for, right? To find someone to blame it for. And this is exactly what these believers were doing. And they were complaining and they were blaming uh, each other, wasting time and, and wasting energy uh, instead of staying focused on their ministry and focused on Jesus. They got their eyes off of Jesus and on to each other. And James says, stop it. Stop your grumbling. Stop your complaining against each other. Now, let's be real. Let's be real. In the pressures of life and tough times, there is always the danger. Listen now. There's always the danger of becoming irritable with those around us. And we start to find fault with them and criticize them and become argumentative. Isn't that true? That's true. And by the way, when we're frustrated, we want to let everybody know we're frustrated, right? Everybody know we're frustrated. We grumble, blah, 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 blah. We complain about everything. Question, when was the last time you waited without complaining, without grumbling, without blaming others? Hey, when you got up this morning, did you rise and shine or rise and whine? Huh? Did you get up and grumble? Did you get up and complain? Friends, when things aren't going our way, when things are out of our control, we tend to complain and grumble, don't we? Let's be honest. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, Paul writes this. 
Do everything. What does everything mean? Everything means everything, right? Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. That's awesome. What's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Quit looking at myself, at my situation, at others, and focus on Jesus. Quit looking at myself, my situation, at others, and focus on Jesus. Friends, our focus should be on Jesus. I know it's, I know it's easier said than done, but we should strive to have our focus on Jesus, not on ourselves, not on others, on Jesus. And that is such a wonderful lesson. So James tells us that we shouldn't grumble, right? We shouldn't complain. And the reason why he gives us gives this negative command, friends, why he wants them to stop it is stated in the next verse. This is why. Verse 9b, verse 9b, look at that, verse 9b. Or you will be judged. There it is. The judge is standing at the door. So James calls Jesus the judge, not merely a judge, nor even a better judge than you, nor even the really best and most qualified judge. No, he is the judge. The only one who may act the part of the judge of our brothers and sisters in Christ and us. He's the judge. Now listen. Jesus comes as a judge not only to judge the world, but also to judge or to assess the faithfulness of Christians. And you'll find that in 2 Corinthians 5.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10. That's what we call the Bema Seat. We'll be judged for our works. Okay, not our salvation, but our works. We'll be judged because a judge is standing at the door. He's just outside the chambers. That's what James is saying. He's, he's soon coming in. So, so if we're going to get it right... Get it right now. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Okay, that's what James is saying. And that being said, listen now, our incentive to be patient with people is that we know that a just judge is coming. He's coming. Now, I love what James does. And what he does is he brings Old Testament prophets to our attention as examples, listen now, as examples of suffering and patience. And he wants, what he does, he wants to illustrate that it's not easy being a believer. Did you get that? It's not easy being a believer. Look at verses 10 through 11a. James says, brothers, as an example of patience, listen to what he says, in the face of what? Suffering. Suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11a, as you know, we consider blessed or blessed those who have persevered. Listen now, the prophets of God suffered in the will of God. I'm going to say it again. The prophets of God suffered in the will of God. These men suffered horrendous persecution and personal pain. These guys suffered but they persevered. They were patient. They persevered. They struggled. Yes, they did. They struggled, but they stayed focused. I'm reminded of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was beaten and, and, and also put in stocks, thrown in prison, dropped in a muddy cistern. 
I mean, can you imagine preaching all of your life and only getting negative responses to your ministry? He was called the weeping prophet, the one, the weeping prophet, the one who cried out, but no one listened to. How about Daniel? Daniel, thrown in the lion's den. How about Hosea and Amos and many, many more? I could be here for days telling you about these prophets who suffered in the will of God. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Write that down. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Then he says this, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Say amen to that. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. Romans 5, 3 and 4. Romans 5, chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. If you're, if you're with me, say amen. If you're getting it, say amen. We also rejoice in our sufferings. Did you get that? We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering has got a purpose, produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Philippians 3.10. Love what Paul writes. I want to know Christ, Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, listen listen now what he says, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Wow. Now what James does, James now puts Job into the mix. Look at verse 11b. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Say amen to that. Do you remember the story of Job? Most of us know the story of Job. And by the way, the next time you have it bad, the next time, listen now, you think you have it bad, go back and read Job's story. He was rich, had a big family. He was married, well-known godly man. In fact, in Job 1.1, it says this about him. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. He was a godly man. And in just one day, he lost his home, his wealth, his children, cattle, and was stricken with boils all over his body. And to make things worse, his wife tells him to curse God and die. That's what I call a supportive wife. Everything was taken away from Job except a nagging wife. And not to mention his idiot friends who told him that his suffering was the result of sin in his life. And you know what was the most difficult part of Job's dilemma? It was this. It was that he had no idea... He had no clue whatsoever why all of this was happening to him. And for 37 chapters, 37 chapters, God doesn't even say a word to him to let him know why all this was occurring to him. Listen, if anybody had a reason to say why me or life isn't fair, it would be Job. It would be Job. And he was a blameless, upright, God-fearing man who shunned evil. And you know what? Even though he didn't have the answers to his dilemma, he stood faithful and patient before God. And you know what? Job was very honest 
and very open about his trials. And five times, five times he affirmed his faith in the darkness. So I want you to write these scriptures down. In Job, they're all in Job. In Job 121, in Job 121, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Man, that's powerful. In Job 2.10, in Job chapter 2, verse 10, he told his wife, Shall we accept good from God and not bad? Friends, he refused to curse God for his disasters. In Job 13, Job 13, 15a, Job 13, chapter 13, verse 15a, he made one of the greatest declarations of faith in the Bible. And he said this, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Wow. Though he slay me, I will trust in him. And then in Job 19.25, Job chapter 19, verse 25, he declared, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. I know, I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're facing, just say, I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. And then in Job 23.5, Job 23.5, he said, He knows the way I take. I will come forth as gold. Love that. I know, or excuse me, he knows the way I take. I will come forth as gold. Now get this. You may be going through the fire right now. It may be hard and difficult, but don't forget God has control of the thermostat. I, you, we will come forth as gold. So hold on. Hold on. And you see Job's life, what it does, it demonstrates that God is full of compassion and mercy because in the end, God restores Job's health, his fortune, and gives him 10 more children and allowed him to live to see his grandchildren to the fourth generation because God is a God of compassion and a God of mercy. I want you to notice that James gave three examples of people with patience. The farmer, the prophets, and Job. The farmer, the prophets, and Job. Now listen, when you face problems in your life that are unexplainable, when you have no clue or idea why you're right in the middle of a situation or circumstance, don't try to figure it out. Just learn to be patient. Learn to be patient and stay faithful to God. And don't grow weary in doing good. Galatians 6.9, Galatians 6.9. Paul writes, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We do not give up. Now listen. Endurance does not imply perfection, but it does require submission. I'm going to say that again. Endurance does not imply perfection, but it does require submission. We submit ourselves to God trusting His sovereignty. 
I'm going to say it again. We, we submit ourselves to God trusting his sovereignty. And you see, God will accomplish his sovereign purpose for good through our suffering. Romans 8, 28, most of us know this by heart, right? And we know that in all things, say all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his what? Purpose. So in light of that verse, patience means we believe God orders everything, everything for our spiritual good. Every situation, good or bad, is an opportunity to honor him in a new way. In chapter 1, verses 2, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 of James, James says this, remember this? Remember this? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind. So consider pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's, that's patience. Perseverance must Finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And, and James is saying the same thing here in our text, but this time it's against the backdrop of the return of Christ. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Everything that you and I go through in life, the tough times, uh, times where life seems so unfair, listen, those times are but small potatoes. Yes, small potatoes compared to seeing the face of Jesus and being with him for all of eternity. Romans 8, 18. If you're still with me, say amen. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory, say glory, that will be revealed in us. Friends, there has to be suffering before glory. I'm going to say it again. There has to be suffering before glory. There can be no victories without battles, no peaks without valleys, no glory without suffering. I mean, look at Jesus, right? Jesus suffered on the cross, then came glory. There has to be suffering before glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Love that. Notice what he says. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. There it is, glory, that far outweighs them all. Then he says this, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Gosh, I love that. It's awesome. So here's a lesson, and I want you to get this, okay? Suffering, affliction is part of the Christian life. I'm going to say it again. Suffering Affliction is part of the Christian life. We will not be free from trouble and suffering until we go to be with Jesus. That's just part of life. Again, the focal point of our lives needs to be 
on the coming of Jesus. So we need to live, listen now, live anticipating his return at any time. He can, he can come back any time, friends. I mean, just look at our world. His coming is soon. Now listen, if we don't live with this hope, and you got to get this, if we don't live with this hope, we will be discouraged and overcome by our trials. And you see, I want to tell you this, friends. Listen now, the trials and the difficulties become opportunities. Say, say that, say opportunities for us to demonstrate patience and endurance as faithful servants of God's kingdom. Two positives, waiting, standing. Two negatives, don't grumble. And here's the second negative. Point number four is don't swear. Write that down. Don't swear. Say that. Don't swear. Look at verse 12 with me. Above all, James writes, my brothers, do not swear. Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. So what James does here is he echoes the teaching or echo the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5, 34 and 37. Matthew 5, chapter 5, verses 34 and 37. Now, friends, when we think of the word swearing, uh, we think of all kinds of illicit speech, of profanity. Uh, we think of, of, of dirty talk, of four-letter words, or what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. We think of that. Well, what James is talking about here is a little different than that. He's not talking about illicit speech or, or profanity. He's talking about a very specific kind of speech that the Bible Call swearing. It has to do with oaths. Now, at first, it seems like this verse, uh, verse uh, 12, uh, doesn't fit in its context because what does it have to do with patience and suffering? What does swearing have to do with patience and suffering? Well, the message says it like this. And since you know that he cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language can't be used against you. So this is, this is, this is, this is the bottom line here. There are times in suffering, let's be honest, there are times in suffering when we try to bargain with God. And we say things like, God, God, if you will let this pass quickly, I will serve you, I will give my tithe, I will come to church, I will witness, I will read your word, and I will pray faithfully. We bargain with God. And we say things like, you know, I swear on my mother's grave, or I swear on a stack of Bibles, or what I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Listen now, friends, all these attempts at persuasion are fabrications and dishonesty. Those kinds of statements will keep us from blessings and bring judgment, bring judgment upon ourselves. Now let's go back to the text. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. The, the New American Standard Bible renders it like this, and I like the, the way it renders it, so that you may not fall under judgment. Say judgment. Friends, this lack, got to get this now, this lack of character will be exposed at the judgment seat of Christ. 
And you know what? This should motivate us all the more to prepare for that judgment by our speaking with integrity. Now listen, James is not saying that we should never sign a contract or that we should never swear to tell the truth in court. The Bible doesn't forbid the swearing of all oaths, only against the swearing of deceptive, unwise, and flippant oaths. What James is saying is that oaths should be unnecessary in our lives because we should tell the truth all of the time. Do you get that? We should tell the truth all of the time. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. We should resist the urge to make ourselves look good through, through exaggeration or to shade the truth to avoid responsibility for our actions or to water down the truth to make the gospel more acceptable or to tell people what they want to hear in order to get them to do something for us. Now, perhaps, James is saying that in the Christian life, patience is not manifested by great verbal promises, rather by quiet talk that follows through. I'm going to say it again. James is saying that in the Christian life, patience, patience excuse me, is not manifested by great verbal promises, rather by quiet talk that follows through. So I want you to follow me here. Our patient endurance will be shown not in, listen now, not in greatness of our verbal commitments, but in our endurance, in our endurance under trial. Our patient endurance will be shown not in greatness of our verbal commitments, but in our endurance under trial. So there's a lesson here, and here's a lesson. We need to guard our speech to maintain integrity. We need to guard our speech to maintain integrity. Our word, listen now, friends, our word should be honest and straightforward. Honest and straightforward. We need to tell the truth all the time. All the time. Now listen, Christians with integrity, say integrity, Christians with integrity don't need to swear by an oath because having kept their word in the past, having kept their word in the past, people believe what they say. So we need to guard our speech to maintain integrity. Someone say amen. So as we wrap this all up, I want to say this. The, the most valuable tool or tools in Satan's hand is an impatient believer. I'm going to say it again. The most valuable tools in Satan's hand is an, in, as, is, is an impatient, excuse me, impatient believer. Moses, Moses, Moses impatient Impatience robbed him, listen now, robbed him from a trip to the promised land. Abraham's impatience led to the birth of Ishmael. Peter's impatience almost made him a murderer. Impatience will rob you of your blessings. The most valuable tools in Satan's hand is an impatient believer. So we need to be patient. Patient, stand firm, be stout-hearted, patient. 
So I want to leave you with this. Don't focus on the situation or you will become angry. Don't focus on yourself or you will become filled with self-pity. Don't focus on someone to blame or you will begin to complain. Rather, focus on the coming of Jesus, your blessed hope. And until then, until then, worship, work, wait, and watch for his coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity, Lord, um, the privilege, the honor, and the blessing to hear you speak to us through your word. That, that what we have learned today, Lord, would, would resonate deep within our hearts, that we would be patient, uh, stand firm, that we would not grumble and, and to tell the truth all of the time, Lord. Father, might we cultivate a mindset, Lord, a mindset for the long haul and to patiently endure hardships and heartaches until you come back. That we would be encouraged that while we are waiting, Lord, you are working. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week as always. Love you. God bless you. Be good.